EMSradio.com. EMS information for the next generation. The EMS Garage is a production of EMSradio.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just search EMS Garage. You can find us on Twitter at EMS Garage. Email us, emsgarage at gmail.com. Or call us, 303-720-6001. This episode of the EMS Garage is brought to you by Audible.com. Over 85,000 titles to choose from in every genre. Thrillers, business, romance, comedy, sci-fi, and more. Get a free audiobook download for your MP3 or iPod. Just go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash EMS Garage. The EMS Garage. Okay, I got the DC on the phone there. Want to know if uh, you can handle that call as well? Just confirming you are checking the patient. All righty. Good morning. Looks like Sean and Scott got up, huh? Are are you really yeah. hung? Are you hungover? <laughs> are you still hungover? Oh, I'm I'm a little hungover. Yeah. Oh, night. Even man, this is like two podcasts in a row. You've been doing it drunk. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, I know. Seriously. What you mean? You guys have been doing it sober all this time? Well, <laughs> some other people. Doing something wrong. Oh man. <laughs> I knew I was doing something wrong. Well, if if I had it in me, I could do a Bloody Mary, but it's 8 o'clock in the morning, and I just can't do it. Come on. Hey, you know what? Beer's not oh. just for breakfast anymore. Oh, God. Mm. I, I did some of my best drinking of my life between the hours of 8 a.m. and 11 a.m., okay? Oh, God. Wow. Dude, when you work overnights, what are you supposed to do? You get out of work, you well, go to true. the bar. True. Good. Okay, good point. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. All right. Uh, so we know what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. No. All right. Hey, nice new logo on the EMS newbie there, dude. Well, thank you. Who did that for you? Did, did Ron? Did Ron change it? Well, oh, let me go check. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been changed for a while. <laughs> oh well, okay. So you're just now noticing it. Yeah, Ron did that. Okay, cool. Like I said, Ron's Ron's the brains of the operation, man. I'm just the uh, the, the weekly on air regular guest. Ah, I see. And why have you never had me on? Because hmm? 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 you're not a newbie, but you could be on. I'm a newbie. I'll, 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 we'll have the the Chris Montera special. Ooh, with the side of bacon. Well, <laughs> with the side of bacon, yeah. <laughs> We'll get uh, get Ron to interview you, do a special interview on your own uh, community paramedicine. How'd that be? Oh, sure. Why not? Sounds like fun. We could do that. Um, Brian Bledsoe, did he email everybody else last night? He's fishing in Cabo San Lucas. Yeah, I I promptly deleted that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yet more reason to hate Brian Bledsoe. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Although he does work in Vegas, so, you know, you do have to give him, you know, some another another reason. that annoying habit he has of you know pointing out the fallacies that we cling to in EMS, man. I tell you, yeah. 
how dare he inject reality into our into our profession. I greatly <laughs> prefer delirium. Yeah. Mm, delirium sounds yummy. Okay. All right. So, uh, sorry, my word made this morning. Delirium tremors. I've, uh, I've been up for like three hours. I've had a lot of coffee. I'm ready to go. Uh, so the one thing this Detroit call, you know, several people shot, um, took 15 minutes to get an ambulance because there weren't any available. Uh, Anyway, but is there really a story there or not? I don't know. It seems like it seems like the time frame is just what the people on scene are saying. Ah, it took ten or fifteen minutes, and no one showed up. Right. I don't, you have to you have like, to um, multiply everybody you know every bystander's time factor by you know by three at least. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, although people are although the mayor says that there was an ambulance sent in three minutes. Well, I mean, you read the story, and no ambulance showed up, period. Mm. You right. know, no, nobody was at the scene. They drove themselves yeah, the to the police station, drove right. themselves to the hospital. Cops drove them to the hospital. Right. So that, I guess that begs the question, Did they may have sent an ambulance, but did they have any available to respond? Mm-hmm. So. Well, if, just because they sent an ambulance, I mean, does that, that could have been coming from 20 miles away. I mean... Yeah, they could have had an ambulance dispatched in three minutes, but the closest does, one. And, yeah. True. Does anyone get the sense that the uh, police department uh, transported because they, they pretty much knew that <laughs> that uh, the ambulance would not be responding very quickly? Mm-hmm. You know, this, well, this, is, is, a, this isn't a, the first time. This is this is like what the, the third time that we've heard that the police officers transporting people to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Sure. That we've heard of oh, yeah. too. Yeah, that, that we've, we've heard, heard of. Don't think of law enforcement ABCs. Ambulance be coming, pal. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I I always thought their idea of assessment was to use their foot and kind of shake the person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. Hang on, buddy. Ambulance be coming. <laughs> well, you're joining us in the middle of the conversation. You know, I already started, but uh, so. Um, I'm Chris Montero, the Geeky Medic, and you're listening to the EMS Garage. You've also been hearing Kelly Grayson in the background. Nice to hear you, man. Good to, good to hear y'all again. Right on. Y- y'all. I can't talk like that. Y'all. Sorry. I'm trying. I'm trying. Also, Scott Keir, who's apparently really hungover, so I'll talk really loud this morning into his head. <laughs> good morning. How are you, sir? Good. So what is it that you were doing last night that you're so hungover? Oh, I was at a, a concert up in... Northampton, Massachusetts, just north of me, that didn't get off the ground until about 10 o'clock last night. So I ended up rolling in the door around 2 a.m. when it was all said and done. Mm. A lot of beer, a lot of good music, and uh, here I am. Nice. Well, you are alive, so that's a good thing. Yeah, I made it. And you're in your 30s, so you're fine. You're right. Thank you for designated drivers. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I hear you, man. Uh, also joining us, Mr. Sean Eddy. Hello, sir. Who's apparently not hungover, but he needed a wake-up call anyway. Hey, you don't know that. That's what it said. <laughs> I, was it a baseball game till 11 o'clock last night? So it, you were you also drinking? Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe. Are yeah. you hungover as well? No, I don't think I'm hungover, but I, it's a... Uh, thirsty thursdays so that's uh mm. two two for one beers and kind of hard not to be isn't every day thirsty though really 
<laughs> Man, I can already tell what the name of this episode is going to be. And also joining us, Mr. James Warmouth. How are you, sir? Howdy. Howdy. You got your you got your microphone fixed. Yes. Uh, good old Windows USB troubles. Uh, I should have a Mac. But I can't afford a my, Mac. Uh, neither can I, but I have one. So, you know, I mean, there's that I'm problem. Sorry to hear that. I know. It's beautiful. Mm. Yeah, because I saw that you bought a Windows machine and then you immediately blew it out with Link, or, uh, Linux, right? Yeah. No, every every machine I've ever bought, that that stupid operating system doesn't see the light of day. Good for you. Well, you, you know, I, I've used <laughs> Linux quite a bit. And I've got I've got one or two machines that run Linux, but I haven't yet found a version that would completely replace my Windows box. And I guess it's maybe because of of how I use it and the programs that I use. But th- there's always there's always that little bit of a a five percentile that's just I I, I got to go back to Windows for that last five percent that I absolutely has to have. Hmm. I yeah I understand. got out of that mentality about two years after I started using it. You just kind of instead of looking at well I can't make this program work in Linux. You got to look for alternatives, and there's a lot of alternatives, and they're all free. So it didn't take me long to adjust. Right on. All right. Well, so we uh, have had a few stories come up this uh, past couple of weeks, and we just haven't really done them. So. The I think the one that we could talk about is Brian Stowe. I don't know how many people know about that, but that that's been a kind yeah. of a big story. Also, the Detroit shooting. Um, apparently, they never got an ambulance, and you kind of heard us talking about that at the beginning. And then we'll find out some other things we can talk about. There's a Canadian. There's a Canadian city that's unhappy about EMS and needs to be fixed. So we'll maybe we'll talk about that for our people, for our friends up north, because I'll be in Canada in merely two weeks. So. In Ottawa, if you're interested in coming by and seeing me, say hi. Uh, so, up first, Brian Stowe, does anybody know about this story or want to kind of set up the scenario about the uh, poor gentleman that got beat up after a baseball game? Apparently, he was, he was wearing a, a San Francisco Giants jersey uh, at a... Uh, uh, Giants-Dodgers ball game, wasn't he? And, and these people had... It kind of antagonized him uh, in the stadium and 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 jumped him in the parking lot. Wouldn't wouldn't that how it went down? That uh, sounds yeah. about right. But you know, I guess the only thing that I ever thought was, don't you just beat up Dodgers fans anyway? Not you don't really <laughs> ever beat up Giants fans, but yeah, yeah that was just my opinion. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, bad joke. It's too early. Gosh. All right. Uh, nothing's <laughs> out of the realm of possibility in L.A. <laughs> you don't need to beat up Dodgers fans i mean they have enough pain and suffering being dodgers fans anyway well that's what i'm saying you just kind of go oh you're a dodgers fan that's pretty much all the beating you need yeah oh you root for the dodgers how cute (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny uh so and is he still in critical condition what have we heard any more about him there was there was a an update i I saw the other day where they had they'd uh Put in a tracheostomy and and um, you know we're we're looking at weaning him off a, a ventilator or something. I may be speaking out of turn, but uh, I can go to Facebook, uh, go to his site, 
but there was something on that where where he's doing a little better still you know still in ICU and comatose but but um, making some progress. So you know that. I I read last night that uh, they were that they were weaning him off the uh, sedatives and yeah they were hoping to have him completely off it by last night or something like that. Yeah. Well, that that's good to hear. And I know our thoughts and prayers are with him. And I know there's been a lot of fundraisers for him. And I know uh, Setla and that crowd out there have done an amazing job raising money for the family and just helping them through this time. And uh, it's really, really unfortunate what's going on there for sure. The fundraising is going beyond that too. Um, <clears throat> AMR is doing is doing donations and and taking in money and paid time off for him. And uh, I can tell you that you know living in the Northeast, uh, people up my way have actually gotten wind of it and are putting some stuff together and want to make a, a donation to his family as well. So I mean, you know, it, the everything that's going on is is far reaching throughout the community. Um, which is just a real a real testament to to how strong we truly are when we don't realize it. You know, it's it's one of those situations where you have somebody who you've never met before on the other side of the country who is part of your family because of what they do and people are willing to reach out and help them and it's, you know, if if there is any silver lining to this at all, it's it's that. Yeah, they um, I'm, I'm here on his uh, on the the support website uh, supportforstow.blogspot.com, um, and uh, as of April 14th, they had taken him off the vent, put a uh, done a tracheostomy, um, and uh, apparently moved his nasogastric tube uh, and, and put in a feeding tube in his stomach, a peg tube or something. And they had done a CT scan as of yesterday, but they were hoping uh, they haven't posted the results of the CT yet. So hopefully continues to make progress. Well, and that's good, too. And it's nice to hear just our community as a greater EMS community coming behind one of our own and and trying to uh, make a change or make an effect in their life and uh, boy i really hope they find the people that did this because i oh, just yeah. ugh, it's just ugh, it just makes me angry to know yeah. so moving on from that story i'd like to talk about the detroit shooting we did talk a little bit about it but the it apparently looks like it it may just be a a lot of uh hullabaloo about nothing but the apparently what happened is there was a there was a couple people shot in Detroit, and they, in Detroit, imagine that. Well, okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, the call went out about two a.m. Um, there are differing reports, but what we what what has six people shot, but what uh, has been, has come out is that there were no ambulances available to actually respond to the call. The deputy mayor came back and said, well, actually, we received a call and we, we dispatched an ambulance only minutes after. The thing we were talking about before the show is did they actually dispatch the – they may have dispatched an ambulance, but if they didn't have any available, then I guess then it's kind of a moot point because why would you uh, – you can't really respond if there's no ambulances. Anyway, so is we, – we talk about the Detroit system a lot here. 
what is going on up there? And last I saw, they had they had a need for twenty two or twenty four ambulances and and the and the money to do it, but they just aren't hiring the or they're not able to keep the units on the street because of di- many problems. I know mechanical issues with ambulances or not enough paramedics, things like that. Well, it's you know let, let's move beyond that it's it's a system failure in general there are there are so many flaws and so many gaps in this system that it's just i I would say it's a ticking time bomb but this one exploded long ago oh it exploded long ago yeah we're just still dealing with the shrapnel Um, right i mean there's there's no mutual aid that's apparent within this system if if you have people waiting 45 minutes for an ambulance there's there's and and there there has to be somebody else who drives an ambulance around in the city of Detroit other than the ones that say Detroit Fire Department on the side of them. I mean, there there, there is there's there's a lot of private providers around there. Where, where the issues coming in is they turning all these calls to the to the privates and they're saying, hey, look, like if you want us to run your calls, then let us run your calls. But you know you can't just keep using us as a backup plan. We have our own. You know, calls calls to run and ob- obligations mm-hmm. with the hospitals and whatnot, and it's it's becoming a lot for them too. And they're like, if you want us to do nine one one calls around here, then give us a contract. And you know, relying on the privates to to handle your 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 municipality calls always turns around and ends up biting you. And, and especially because I see that in the system where I work, where I'm the private provider backing up the. The, the the municipal units it comes down to we may or may not be available yeah you can call us and say hey you don't have any units but that doesn't mean we're going to have any either yeah well I, you know I, I think Detroit's uh, uh, problems are, are symptomatic of a, of a greater uh, problem in EMS you know with the with the the economy and the shape that it's in and, and tax revenues down so much that you, you're going to start to see some, some cracks in other EMS systems uh, as time passes. You know, I was reading on, on uh, Lieutenant Michael Morse's blog, uh, Rescuing Providence, that, uh, you know, Providence, um, city of uh, 180,000, um, packed into 20 square miles, manages to, uh, to cover their city with only five ALS units. <laughs> um, that's, you know, that's pretty, uh, pretty sad right there. And they're, they're continually having to call for mutual aid from surrounding counties. And interestingly enough, they don't in, in by, uh, apparently by law in Rhode Island, uh, they don't allow, uh, privates to, to run the 911 calls, uh, you know, it has to be the fire department. So they don't even have the luxury of, of utilizing the, the uh, private ALS ambulances in town. So happening more places in Detroit, although Detroit is the one that's, you know, that, that we're hearing a lot about. You know, uh, I've, I've mentioned this on my blog a couple of times, and I mean, granted, it'd be hard to turn a profit around there, but one of the problems with running 911 calls only is that they don't pay. Uh, the, the reimbursement on it no, is terrible. And huge money. In, in like my system, I would, I mean, I probably wouldn't be too far out saying the only reason we're able to stay in business as long as we have is because of things like, you know, doing event standbys and all the IFTs and, 
LDTs. And I mean, those are where all that, that's where all the revenue comes in. It's, it's almost impossible to survive on just running scene calls. Well, yes and no. Uh, you're, you're looking at two different funding models, and that's, again, going back to what we talked about last week. Um, you have your, your quality you know, your, your quality payers, which is exactly what you're talking about, and then you have your quantity payers, which is the 911 system. If you run a higher, high enough volume of 911s, it, it can actually support a system. Yes. Yeah, so, well, I, I work in, you know, uh, the system I work in is, is uh, 911 and IFTs. Uh, a few of Acadian's areas, uh, their, their larger areas, are they do IFT only. Um, but I would say in the majority of their, their service area, which is huge, uh, that they do both. And they're the sole provider in, in a great many of those areas. So, and I think our insurance billing is... I'd I hate to quote numbers and, and get them wrong, but but we uh, we have target for uh, gathering insurance information and and uh, and uh, I think it's eighty six percent something like that that we uh, uh, is our company target or, or in the mid eighties something uh, along those lines and we managed to make that target so that's including running the nine one one so if you do run enough of them. Uh, you, you can actually make them pay, but um, it's hard to do if you do 911 only and, and don't do any IFT stuff. It, it tends to be a big money loser. Well, and, and this is why I've wondered why they haven't thought of the option of just contracting that out to a private provider. I mean, I know a lot of people get up in arms when I say that, but I mean, when you have an operating area exclusive to a private provider, you know, they have a contract and they have response times that they they have to meet and you say hey look this is what you have to do um mm-hmm. you have to make your calls in under 10 minutes or under eight minutes for priority ones or what whatever and then you know you give them give them all the ifts and give them all the scene calls and where the money that they don't get off the scene calls they're going to make up from doing the ifts and everything else yeah i you know, desperate times call for desperate measures, <laughs> you know, and and quite often, you know, uh, private, privatization is probably not the answer in, in a great many cases. But when your system is as defunct, dysfunctional as Detroit's is, uh, that, that probably needs to be something you seriously consider. I think the only winner in this situation is uh, D.C. Fire and EMS. Because now they have someone else to point to as America's most dysfunctional EMS system. As bad as Detroit. <laughs> that, that's always a good. That's always a good measuring stick. We're not as bad as Detroit. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, We're not yeah. as bad as Detroit. Yeah, but everybody can say that. <laughs> this is, this Again, is true. but but well, they set the bar. Well, when you set the bar low, it's easy to. You, you managed it, yeah. So hey, take take it where you can get it. Exactly. Well, and and I, I I'm listening to this with great curiosity because I think that EMS systems around the country are are so vastly different from the way they're fund. Well, I don't think that they're vastly different, but the reasons why they're funded the way they are is because the IFTs really are the gravy, and mm-hmm. in any system, if you can if you can do a lot of those, you're going to be able to backfund the 911 system because we all know 911 loses money um, unless you're in a really good payer mix 
like say Vale, and then you don't have that problem. But unless you and when you live thirty miles west of Vale, you don't you tend to have a different problem. So we uh, we don't have the the great payer mix they do. So it's it, it's difficult because you want to have a good system response, but at the same time, the hospital is also a customer, so you have to make sure that you take care of them as well. So it, eh, I, I don't know. I don't know that there is a solution for fire departments or municipalities that are thinking about what. How do we? How do we make ends meet? Uh, do we contract it out at this point? Do we need to start doing some of the inner facility work? It's hard to say, and and maybe. Uh, boy, I know. Uh, maybe, maybe they need to start doing that. I don't know. I, I, and maybe that's at the at the risk of competing with a private entity. And maybe we need to start looking at EMS and healthcare has always been based on a business model. Unfortunately, so we have to look at it as how we're going to make money. And eh, unfortunately, um, the best way to do that is sometimes a, a mixture of private money and public money and insurance money. And this is coming from my perspective, having always worked in, in private systems. Uh, but I do a lot of training for, for public EMS systems. Um, I wonder, and, and you guys who work in public systems don't take this the wrong way. (laughs) I wonder how much experience you have actually being cost effective you know, when, when you're, when you do EMS as a business, that is, that is a fundamental question that, you know, that, that applies to everything that you do. How do we do this cost effectively and, and, and keep our profit, profit margins up? Um, I know that profit shouldn't take place, uh, precedence over patient care, but it has to be part of the equation. Um, when you run in a, uh, in, in an EMS system that is taxpayer funded, uh, do you really cultivate that that kind of thinking? Um, it depends on the uh, it depends on the tax, leader. It depends. Yeah, on the and leader. especially when tax revenues are high, but when they're falling, um, and and the budget crunches really hit, um, how many people are, are used to to operating lean uh, and and as efficient as as and streamlined as possible? Um, that may be part of the problem here. Is is uh, wonder how much you know, how much uh, bloat uh, or inefficiency is inherent in the system just from the way they've always done things. This is not, you know, uh, not a, a uh, criticism of the, the medics uh, forced to work in, in, in the conditions that Detroit's medics are. But, um, you know, it's they may be able to do things a little better uh, um, than, they're, than they're doing anyway. Just... Well, I, I I agree with you there. It's with with private business and more specific to EMS. I, I mean, for the most part, their money is. I mean, their their income is what they generate, and it's not. They don't just have a constant, you know, funnel of cash coming from exactly. from the government. They they have to they have to make what they get, and so they don't have a choice. They have to live within their, their means. They can't just go and say, Hey, can we have some more money? I mean, that's not a hundred percent true because they can do rate rate increases and whatnot, but then they're fighting with the insurance companies who probably won't pay them that extra amount anyway. So yeah, yeah it's and when you've got someone who's not only billing for their services, but also taking in tax dollars, um, 
you're you're right. If they start running low, then yeah, we need more we need more more money. Start running commercials. Start doing this. Start doing that. Let's raise taxes. And, you know the other thing the other thing that I've seen in in my particular area too is what it, it, even though the municipality you know get, gets is funded by taxes the charges that they put on patient transfers uh I look at because I've seen some of the bills that have come in for those kind of patients and it's like are you kidding me? I mean, it's ridiculous amounts. And the patients have told me, it's like, I'm not going to pay this. I can't afford to pay this. And it's, and it's generally two to three times what, what the transfer service would charge for the same trip. And, you know, I, I completely agree with the with the whole idea of the bloat and, and trying to cover that bloat. But I, I think it's really bad when you can call two ambulances, both ambulances, you'll get a paramedic. But if you call the 911 provider, the, you're going to get charged two to three times more. And the only difference is they're going to show up with an engine versus the transfer service isn't. Because because they're want, they're asking the insured to subsidize the uninsured. That's which, what I was going to say. Yeah. Which, we, which we do in healthcare anyway, uh, across the entire spectrum of, of healthcare. Yet, um, you know, at least nationwide, there's the economies of scale. Uh, there's there's a little uh, the disparity is is uh, less noticeable. Um, but if you do this, you know, you know, in in this, you know, one system, uh, it can be be pretty pretty stark difference. It's now time for the government employee to pick apart your argument, which I love. <laughs> um, okay, so a couple things. One, I think James said something. Are you so you said that both units arrive and they're both paramedics? Are they both equally paid? No. Are they both equally compensated? No. So, hmm. So, who's paid higher? Uh. Well. Okay, this is an interesting situation. <laughs> the transfer medics are paid more per hour, but the city medics have a few benefits. They have they have city funded insurance and they also have a retirement plan. You know, if you put it all together, it kind of washes out pretty close to be honest. Because once you start paying your own insurance and you start paying your own um, retirement, it pretty much washes out equal. However, do you will you have a retirement when you leave in twenty years from the private? I I won't have a retirement through the company, but I have my own retirement, so right. I feel I don't need the company's retirement. But there aren't very many, there aren't many, very many paramedics that are that have that much foresight to go. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this money and, and move it in. And it, okay, so problem number one with your argument, I don't I don't believe that that's the case around the country where the private entity is paid more than the public entity. Okay, so. Problem number one. Problem number two is you guys are assuming that all government is run poorly and inefficiently. And I will tell you that in in many cases, and I know in our case, and I, I can point to several other examples around the country, when there's a tax subsidy, we look at it uh, and we have a, a the ability to bill. And I've found quite the opposite effect that most tax subsidy agencies actually bill less than the than a private provider of um, because they have to make more per call, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so 
the point of, only... But the point of that is, is that if the, um, so in our instance, we actually, we're one of the lower, uh, we're, uh, most of the, most of this I-70 corridor from Denver to Grand Junction's um, tax ported just because we can't afford to pay on the call volume. There's no way. And the vast distances between towns, there's just no way to um, either you have an EMS system or you don't. There's no in between. So you have to figure out a way to subsidize that. So part of that is, is that we say that our tax subsidy pays for the um, readiness of response. The fees pay for stuff like new cardiac monitors, new buildings, new ambulances, because in my view, that's the way you make sure that you're being the most efficient and ensuring that everybody, um, bear the burden of what's going on. And the other piece of it is, is our taxpayers actually get a discount on their bill. Um, if we transport them, if we transport them once or we transport them 20 times, they get the same discount every time because we view their tax dollars as paying into the system. So we're not going to have them unfairly, um, subsidize a system when they can actually get a discount on their bill, which is absolutely, cool. uh, so those are, so don't, don't make those assumptions across the board because I think that there are ways to run government like a business. And again, I think it goes back to that leadership issue. And I think the things in Detroit that are going on have a lot to do with their leadership because if you have ambulances that are breaking down, you have people that don't want to come into work, blah, 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 all those things. That's a management leadership breakdown that you, they have got to solve it for some, you know, and I don't know the ins and outs of their uh, fleet maintenance program, but man, it's gotta be, it's so easy to fix that kind of stuff. But if the ambulance is given as high a priority as the city bus sitting in there, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna, it, there is no, uh, impetus for the city maintenance guys to go, well, you know, it's just an ambulance. I got a bus ahead of it. So I'll just get to that whenever without realizing that that's a priority and really have an understanding of what that does. So anyway, Jamie Davis joined us while I was in my, the middle of my rant there. So, Hey, Jamie Davis, we're talking about Hello. the difference. Be- we were talking about Detroit and why it took them so long. And that led us into how systems are funded and, and, uh, it's cool. Cause I think we're all taking different sides of the argument here, which is good. Well, and, and it's, there's no cut and dried answer. And I think this is one of the issues that comes to the forefront here is that because of the very fractured nature, the way EMS is applied in the United States, there is no best answer for how this works in any given community because every community has come up with their own solution to providing emergency medical services in the field. And then you have, of course, the discussion about uh, interfacility transport services as this whole separate animal uh, that I think doesn't get its due because of uh, just the, the fact that they don't always uh, they aren't always tied to the 911 emergency. And yet I find that those interfacility transport medics and EMTs are really high, highly qualified practitioners because of their they, they just see so many more health problems and see patients in various pro- sets of problems. If they have to be transported by ambulance somewhere, they end up uh, they end up seeing a lot of patients with some serious problems and uh, they develop a good sense of, you know, the whole sick, not sick meme that you need to develop as a, as an, an assessor in the medical field. So I think there's just too many ways to do this. And it's one of the problems trying to bring EMS together. One thing I've, uh, 
I, I do think that uh, IFT uh, medics do excel at that, that you don't necessarily learn working in a, a 911 system uh, or don't learn as, as quickly uh, is a sense of customer service. Um, you know, we all like to, to think that we're, we're uh, patient-centered and, and, and we take care of the, the people who call and, and uh, the patients we care for, and we, we treat them with, uh, with dignity and respect. But when, you're, when, when you're, your paycheck depends on them calling your particular company uh, as opposed to the one across town, uh, that, that uh, concept uh, has a much... Uh, much bigger meaning to you. Um, you know, you, um, you, you learn to, uh, work better and, and, and treat the nurses at the facilities much nicer than you would, um, if, if you're strictly bringing them in, uh, uh, 911 patients to the ER. Um, that's one of the things that, you know, you, uh, you know, you, you learn fairly quick when you when you have competition in, in an area um, that uh, they're going to call the, the service that they like the best. Um, you, you have to have to learn to be likable. You know, it's not not something that's not a skill set that is often required in uh, in working 911 only systems, in my opinion. Well, it's a failing in the way we educate medics. I mean, I mean, we could turn yes. this into an educational discussion, but I mean, patients are mannequins. Patients are things to oh, be yeah. assessed. They're not. Well, they're. We don't. We don't learn anything that. about the the social aspects of patient health care. We don't learn anything about uh, the, uh-huh. the the various holistic natures that go along with a patient's total health picture. And it's something that we should really, you know, as as we move towards a degree based um, system. And, and standard that, you know, depending on who you talk to is either near or far away in, in time. But as we move in that direction, one of the things that needs to be added to the curriculum is uh, more of an understanding of the patient as an individual and as a, a person, not just somebody to be assessed, wrapped up and sent to the hospital. Yeah. Well, and I agree with that, but I mean, it's going to... There's your nursing entering in the the paramedic but, room. Yeah, dude. my my cap <laughs> my cap reared its ugly head there. I no, it. I love it though because we do need to get to that point, and yep. you know it it, uh, it always turns into this for me. But until we're educating people better, it's going to be harder to pay them, and it's going to be harder to allow us to hang out our own shingle and yada yada. I mean, all those things that we continually complain about, we have to start working on in our industry. And we have to have a voice for that. And we have to be seen as equal partners in healthcare, not just the uh, meat wagon that picks people up and drops them in the ER. Okay. No other comments. Okay, great. Wow. I I killed it. You really need to get that crickets sound effect. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be great. Well, uh, during... Uh, Jamie's uh, spiel. I was I was nodding my head. You just couldn't see it, but uh, you know that's something I've said many I many times. I thought I heard something oh. rattling. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Um, that's something I've said on my blog time and time again. Is you know we we could learn a great deal from the nursing profession, uh, and one of those 
uh, one of the things we could learn is is how to take a more holistic view of patient care um, rather than looking at our patients. And, and it's it's odd. We said use pretty much the exact same words, Jamie. I've always said that, uh, you know, we tend in EMS to, to treat patients like the ultimate high-fidelity skills mannequin. Uh, and we don't see them in, in a broader context. And, and that's something we, we have to get away from educationally and we, we have to get away from recruitment-wise because how do we recruit people into EMS? Okay, so now I'm going to take the exact opposite argument of what you guys said, because until we can change the way um, we do business in EMS, we will not be able to fix the problem. And by that, I mean, (laughs) I'm going to actually go against what I said earlier and and say uh, there are many departments that are publicly funded, and you can maybe figure out what I'm talking about, that just want us to turn out paramedics like puppy mills oh yeah and that's i mean that's part of the issue too is we uh, to increase that education is going to increase the burden on them to um figure out how they're going to pay them better and um backfill their time blah blah blah, whatever the argument will be i'm sure so you know what where do we where do we draw the line in the sand is what i'm saying is do we have maybe a paramedic technician level and an advanced practice paramedic slash whatever we call it community paramedic level that's an advanced degree like a bachelor's or something so that kind of like the nursing model where you have an associate's rn and you have a bsn do we need to start looking at that type of system for ourselves where we can allow people, so you have a CNA, LPN, um, ASN, or is it an AS? ADN. ADN, thank you, I can't rem- I couldn't remember. So that's a diploma nurse, correct? Or no, those actually, are, those are so, actually, it's so degree nurse. Actually, we, we're, we're exactly where the diploma nurses were um, 40 years ago. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm going backwards. And then a BSN, and then you can have a master's level and blah, 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 and so on and so on. So well, we, is need that where we, need or, we need to have a national organization. And, and I think this, one of the things that I'm hoping that will come out of some of the discussions that happen in EMS today is what's going to happen with the, the federal home for EMS. I mean, we are still defined by our transport time, which is uh-huh. a transportation um, metric that is based around the fact that we are a Department of Transportation entity. Uh, and you know, DOT, I'm not bashing DOT, and I, and I consistently say that because they've gotten us to where we are. But we, this just underlines yet again why EMS needs to fall under a health care oversight so that the focus is on patient care. If we can get the focus off of how fast can we get to the patient, how fast can we get to the hospital, and focus it on, doesn't matter how fast we got there or get to the hospital, it's really about the outcome of the patient at the other end of the spectrum. Did the patient survive? Did the patient have a positive outcome? Were there complications Uh that could have been fixed? And those are things that we don't focus on right now. Yeah. Great, great points. Well, you know, and that's uh, CMS uh, pretty much views us as, as a, our, our role as a transport function. Uh, hence the the, uh, the skewed reimbursement model toward transport and and not toward the care rendered. Um, 
Yeah. Even even from a reimbursement standpoint, we're we're considered, you know, people who drive, pick the patient up and drive them to the hospital. And and what we do in between uh, gets gets barely noticed. So. Well, a lot of but that's but that's we've done that to ourselves, though. We we've oh, said yeah. that we're not um, we don't treat patients. Go ahead, James. I was going to say a lot of a lot of patients and patients' families kind of feel that way too. It uh-huh. it surprised me uh, when I first got into this business. Um, you know, we would pick up a patient at a nursing facility, and we would be in the back getting an IV, checking vital signs, things like that. And the family's kind of like, "What are y'all doing?" I'm like, "Well, we're we're treating our we're tre- we're taking care of you know your your mother or whoever it is." And they're like, "I didn't know y'all did that. I thought you just drove them to the hospital." And it's, it just surprised me so much that that. That some some people some members of the general public believe that all we did was drive people to the hospital that we didn't actually provide care in the back. Yeah. Well, what it comes down to is is the only things that people care about are the least important parts of what we do. You know, the the public cares about how fast the ambulance gets there. The government, in order to get us paid, cares that we took the person to the hospital. Nothing else really seems to get the publicity that it deserves, and and the patient treatment and and the outcomes, like Jamie said, is 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 where the focus needs to lie. That is where the rebranding of EMS needs to go as we move forward, and and we're just at such a crossroads, and we, and we've got to make sure that it happens right. Well, and I've talked about this before too that. In the state of Colorado today, there will probably be a, somewhere around twelve to 15,000 calls. Not not a lot, but, I mean, that's a lot for a state in one day. Um, and I've often said, that's kind of like a mass casualty every day. And um, if there were twelve to 15,000 fires today, the news would be all over that. But twelve to 15,000, you know, grandmas needing picked up or chest pains or somebody that fell, I mean, are not glamorous and we can't glamorize that any more than, um, the, uh, primary care doc that's treating the, the cold and flu in his office today, because it's, it is, we're the true grunt work of medicine. And unfortunately, or fortunately, we have got to start telling our story a little bit better and telling people and getting the people to understand what we do because i agree with you i mean sometimes i'm like why don't we just you know buy a station wagon put people on the back and take them to the hospital because if that's truly what they think you know maybe maybe that's what they should get i no, i'm teasing i'm teasing but if you know where where are we as an industry to start looking at these really important issues and and get them get them in the light that they need to be it's hard because it's it's not an easy message to tell um because unfortunately paramedics aren't the same all around the country paramedics aren't the same all around my state we have a a very close you know you know we have a practice model but you know one town can be doing drug be doing drugs <laughs> one town could be giving the drug <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean uh but we can give different kinds of drugs we could do different kinds of treatment but it's all because of our medical directors mm-hmm. so there therein lies another issue too is the medical directors really need to be involved in telling our story and making sure that their colleagues have an understanding of what we do and by their colleagues i mean all the other emergency physicians all their all their other physician types things like that so i think it's important that they help us spread that spread that out too 
I think the media has a lot to do with that, almost more so than anything else. And, you know, we've tried to tackle that issue with having uh, news crews coming right along with, with our ambulances, you know, a couple times a year and doing a special on what we do and trying to change the public's perception that all we do is just drive people. And, uh, you know, nothing ever changes. We still run into the same thing over and over and over. And uh, I don't know what the answer is. Right. Well, Chris, one, Chris, going back to your your, your uh, talk about the proliferation of the paramedic puppy mills, um, how much of that do you think is, is due to our concept and our, our belief in America that, that more health care is better? Healthcare. Don't well, think we could. Do you think we could do the same with a smaller, leaner EMS, and and and, and uh, that we don't necessarily need more paramedics. We just need the ones we have to be better at what they do. Yes, but we also have a problem with healthcare in general in America anyway, because we yeah. we it's it's not healthcare. It's it's sick care. We have sick care yeah. and that's, and there, well, the reason more is better is because we have a lot of people getting sick and yeah. until we change that paradigm and start doing prevention and a lot of other things and kind of get rid of this idea that Western medicine is the only way to go. Uh, we've got a huge road to hoe ahead of us. So, um, anyway, I've got to go, I've got a phone conference in about eight minutes. So, uh, before, by the time I wrap this up, we'll be there. I am Chris Montero, Geeky Medic. Next week, we're going to have Gary Wingrove join us. He just got back from Israel. He did a system tour of the Israeli system, and then he spent a couple days in Europe. So we're going to get to hear about his trip and some of his perspectives. He's really excited. He actually wanted to come on today, and he's been chatting with me. And he said, uh, I, I just landed in Frankfurt. I'm exhausted, but I have a lot to tell people. He goes, it was amazing and fascinating there's actually going to be an article coming out in one of the trade journals very soon we'll hopefully have more on that next week we'll actually have hopefully have the author on with us as well and we'll talk about their perspectives of mid middle eastern ems medicine and and maybe some of the issues we can learn and and some things from there uh so kelly grayson where can people find you um on twitter at, at ambo driver uh on facebook at um uh, a day in the life of an ambulance driver and blog of the same name, uh, ambulancedriverfiles.com. And you can find me weekly on my podcast with Ron Davis, uh, Confessions of an EMS Newbie, emsnewbie.com. And uh, I'll like to pimp our, uh, our EMS Newbie essay contest, first prize of which is uh, an all-expenses-paid trip to EMS World Expo in Vegas. So if you know of an EMS newbie who uh, would like an opportunity to go to Vegas and, and experience a conference and get a, a chance to shadow Brian Bledsoe around for a shift, um, have them go to the conference uh, or to the uh, contest page, emsnewbie.com slash Vegas, baby, and uh, read the rules and, and, That's awesome. and regulations and, and submit. I'm I'm a newbie. Can I can I apply? Newbie. You have to be an EMT student or someone with less than two years experience in the field. That's that probably sums up. Well, I haven't had two years of experience in the last two years. Does that work? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Darn it. Okay, maybe not. All right. Uh, thanks, Kelly. Uh, Scott Keir, getting over his hangover. You actually did talk once during this podcast. That's good. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Were hey, you puking the hey, entire time? <laughs> I was. No, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. You, you know, sound good. You sound better now. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. You sound better. Um, where, where can people find you? <laughs> uh, well, now you can find me at all things Medic SBK, uh, medicsbk.com. Uh, medic SBK on Twitter and my email is uh, medic SBK at gmail.com right on thank you very much Ooh. and Sean Eddy where can people find you you can find me at Sean Eddy on Twitter uh, same thing on Facebook you can find me on either of my blogs uh, medicmadness.com or uh, droidmedic.com very cool droid is your uh is your Facebook profile like a little Android guy in an EMS uniform? Because that would be uh, cool. On, on, my droid, on my droid medic one, yes. Okay, cool. Right on. Facebook.com slash droid medic. You'll see it. And and can you use the word droid without giving uh, Lucas some kickback to that? They, these uh, are not no what you're for. It's not. No it's one not sent trademark. me a bill yet. Okay, well, all right. Just so you know, they may. They may. Uh, I knew There's that. Droids is looking for. You can move along now. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm getting ready to go to Starfest today, so I'm so excited. <laughs> I get to meet the real Chewbacca. That's awesome. All right. Uh, oh, nicely uh, done, James Warmoth. Where can people find you? They can find me at yellowrubberducky.squarespace.com. And by the way, it's not illegal until they find out about it. Then it's illegal. Ah, well, it's always illegal. <laughs> it's just, anyway. Okay, good enough. And Jamie Davis, the pod medic, where can people find you? Well, they can uh, find me over at mediccast.com. Uh, there's links there to all of my various shows. Of course, the Mediccast show, as well as uh, just various different things we're doing. And I'd just like to say that there's a lot of great shows, including EMS Garage and a bunch of other good EMS programs, uh, including Kelly's show and, and a bunch more over at promednetwork.com. I always forget about ProMed Network. You rock. ProMed. I'm on. Am I on? I'm on ProMed. No, I'm teasing. You're, and, this shows, you, you better be on ProMed. <laughs> I've been on ProMed a long time. Hey, uh, quick question: Can we plug any of the two things that we'll be doing in the next three weeks? Or no? Yet? Sure. Oh, okay. All right. So, Jamie and Ann Robinson and some other nurses will be at the NTI conference in Chicago the first week of May. That'll be May second, third, and fourth. Right, Jamie? Yeah, and if you want to follow me on Twitter under PodMedic, P-O-D-M-E-D-I-C, um, I, there will be some kind of a meetup that first Tuesday in May. Uh, some kind of tweet up we'll have that evening. So um, don't, cool. you know, if you're a medic and you're listening to this and you want to come, uh, it's not just for nurses. Just because I'm there for the Critical Care Nurses Conference doesn't mean you can't stop by and, and visit too. And we'd love to see you. And nurses are scary, but they're fun. So you'll have fun. And then Carissa, Chris Eldridge and I will be at the integrated training summit which is a federal awesome it's absolutely free dallas texas may 2nd 3rd 4th 5th uh and we'll be broadcasting live we'll be putting stuff on Ustream. 
And I think we'll even be able to send out links for that. Is that right, Jamie? Yeah, it's not closed. It's a okay, federal. Good. It's a federal stream, so they can't. You know, they can't make it private. It's not Perfect. national security or anything. Um, but uh, it, it is for them. And there'll be some. Um, heck, you, you can tune in for the uh, Steve Barry keynote on Thursday morning, if nothing else. That's right, and that'll be really good. And we'll be doing a lot of stuff there. I am hoping. I need to talk to Carissa. Maybe we'll do a, a tweet up either Tuesday or Wednesday night and try and broadcast some stuff live from the tweet up. I'm excited because it's going to be a lot of different specialities and just different types of people there. But if you're in the Dallas, Texas area or want to come by, come by and say hi to us and we'll be out there for about four or five days and it'll be a lot of fun. And then of course we'll be um, very, very soon. I'm hoping to say that we'll be at another large conference this summer. And, uh, as soon as we know that we'll, we'll let you know where, where uh, and when that can, happens. We can, oh, can we, we can plug it, it now? Can we plug I it mean, now? We, it's, it's not official, but uh, we've been, Chris and I've been talking with Scott Cravens for EMS world expo in August and, uh, stay tuned to this show. We're, we're hoping to maybe have maybe a special hotel deal for our oh, listeners. Yeah. We're working on that. I'm no promises, but uh, it's, it's pretty much definite we're going to be there, even if uh, you know, to do the live podcast and everything else. So we'll we'll fill you in on the details once it's finalized. But certainly, even if we weren't going to be there, you should be going to these major conferences, taking advantage of the opportunities there. And it's not the Super 8 next to, like, I don't know, Henderson or something like that. No, no, it'll okay. be... It, it may not be on the strip. We're trying to figure oh, out how good. we can work that out, but it would be somewhere where heck you could be in the same hotel with your favorite podcasters and maybe come down and have a breakfast with them every morning. That sounds like fun. Cool. Yeah. Well, I know we'll be there at the end of August and I'm excited. It'll be hot, but it'll be fun. And you can sit by the pool and, and drink and then go to the conference and have fun too. So thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us this week on the EMS garage. I'm geeky medic. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and you can also follow EMS garage on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. And we will see you next week.